From years of anxiety to warrior and mentor, Bradley Robinson created the Anxiety Project to help you end your anxiety naturally. Let's mold the new you and let's end anxiety together. Hello and welcome to episode 145 of the Anxiety Project podcast. I am Brad Robinson. Today I'm talking about powerful, influential books that have changed me and I hope that by discussing them and I want to read you some passages from these books that have really hit home for me, like really powerful points in the book that have really hit me and I want to share those with you so that you can gain the knowledge of anxiety or how to better yourself and these books have really greatly impacted my life and I've picked some of the best books that have done that and I want to discuss them today but before I talk about those books I want to go over your comments on last week's episode which was about My reflection back on my anxiety disorder, I talk about how my world was completely upside down. I was full of chaos and uncertainty all the time, how I was depressed, how how I was living that Peter Pan lifestyle. I talked about the book Thinking for a Change briefly and setting a goal and an aim, which we will be talking about today. And Cody leaves a comment saying, I can so relate to your story. I can feel more of my awareness expand over the habits that I currently do from listening to your show. Thank you. Thank you, Cody, for your comment. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, Lily H. says, do you think more people are wi- or sorry? Do you think more people are walking around unconscious nowadays? I feel like it's only getting worse. I can see how the Peter Pan lifestyle is worse now. Thanks, Brad. Lily H, thank you for uh, your comment and question. I think people are mostly walking around in that unconscious state remember the unconscious is there to automate us right our body wants to be automated mostly right it doesn't want to critically think about every piece of information or you'll be so overwhelmed by 12 o'clock and that's really what happens with anxiety sufferers but i think that we have to rearrange our values stru- our values structure and we need to target the unconscious mind for unresolved emotional baggage more often right because we we walk around with such heavy baggage especially anxiety sufferers and there are techniques tools to release that baggage and if you want to if you want to hear me talk about that more how people are walking around unconscious nowadays why anxiety is so common i just posted a youtube video up on my channel and it's called how i dealt with panic i think that's what it's called just give me one second lily it's called a time of panic what i should have done that's the name of the youtube video it just released now today 
on August 24th. So go check that out. Well, if you're listening to this podcast, it would have came out yesterday. And so moving on to Astro Boy leaves a comment saying, I quite enjoy listening to your story dealing with this anxiety. It means more when it comes from someone who has been in that hell. I totally agree with that. That's how I connected to my coach at the time. He suffered from anxiety as well. So I connected to him through his story. So thank you everybody for your comments. I really appreciate it. Now let's get into this episode talking about these powerful books that I recommend you pick up. And I want to go over the books briefly, but I want to really get into some passages that have really connected for me, really provide powerful information to better your future self. The first book I want to talk about is Rewire Your Anxious Brain by Pittman and Carl. Powerful, powerful book. Talks about the two pathways that lead to anxiety, the amygdala pathway and the cortex pathway. And so here's a passage from a chapter on the amygdala. So this passage is all about the amygdala. And this passage is titled, Learning from Experience. Many people believe that the symptoms of anxiety disorders, such as panic, worry, and avoidance of certain objects or situations, should be alleviated by rational argument. Well-meaning family members and friends, and sometimes even people struggling with anxiety, often think logic and reason should change the way the anxious person reacts. But, of course, the amygdala isn't logical. For example, if a young boy fears dogs after being bit by one, you won't get very far by saying, don't worry about my dog, buddy. He's never bitten anyone. He's all bark and no bite. Once you have a grasp of the language of the amygdala, it's clear why logic-based interventions miss the mark. As you'll see later in the book, many cortex-based anxiety symptoms do respond to logical, logical arguments, but when it comes to amygdala-based anxiety, there's only one sure way for the amygdala to learn its experience. So, as you can see here from this passage, you might have gotten people from around you, your family, saying, you know, have a drink, relax, smoke some weed, relax, do this, relax. But then you're like in your mind, am I going crazy? Because they seem like it's as simple as doing that. But really, I can't seem to calm myself down. It's quite daunting to an anxiety sufferer. Now, let's continue with the passage. The amygdala's reliance on experience for learning explains why hours of talk therapy or working through numerous self-help books may not help with anxiety. They may not be targeting the amygdala. If you want the amygdala to change its response to an object, for example, a mouse or a situation, such as a noisy crowd, the amygdala needs experience with the object or situation for learning, new learning 
to occur. Experience is most effective when the person interacts directly with the object or situation, although observing another person has also been shown to affect the amygdala. You can reason with the amygdala for hours, but if you're trying to change amygdala-based anxiety, that, that tactic won't be as effective as a few minutes of direct experience will be. So to change your amygdala's fear response, say to a mouse, you must be in the presence of a mouse in order to activate the memory circuits related to mice. Only then can new connections be made. Because the amygdala learns on the basis of associations or pairings, it must ex experience a change in these pairings for the circuitry to change. Not surprisingly, when your mouse memory circuits are activated, you're going to feel some anxiety. So I want to talk about the video I just recently posted yesterday. And that talks about exposure, exposure therapy to those anxious situations, those anxiety-producing situations, and how flooding, being in the environment, being in that situation and staying there until, until your anxiety lessens to like a level four or five is now speaking to the amygdala. The amygdala is now making associations between that environment and safety that you won't die. The amygdala wants to see that you won't die in that particular situation. Really powerful. And so I want to continue a little bit more on the passage. Unfortunately, people typically try to avoid such experiences and this avoidance prevents the amygdala from learning, sorry, from forming new connections. Returning to the example of the mouse, you may even try to avoid thinking about mice because just the thought of a mouse can cause the amygdala to react, initiating the anxiety response. The amygdala tends to preserve learned emotional reactions by avoiding any exposure to the trigger, which decreases the likelihood of changing the emotional circuitry. So as you can see from this passage, that's just one page of this book. It talks about the cortex-based anxiety that happens to us, which is all about the words that we use and the imagery that we use. Words that we tell ourselves can cause us anxiety. The images that we replay in our mind's eye can cause us anxiety, can target the amygdala right? So there are those situations that are so learned and ingrained within us that we show up. For example, in my situation, I show up at the art gallery and I immediately have anxiety. I don't know where it came from. I don't know where it came from. I do now, but at the time I didn't know where it came from. My amygdala just sounded the alarm. And then the cortex, what happens is that we can think our way to panic. Oh no, what if, what if this happens? What if that happens? And the thoughts of, oh no, what if I die, can snowball your anxiety, can trigger your anxiety. Also, the images. 
imagining the car accident, imagining your loved one dying, imagining that traumatic moment in your life causes anxiety. Really powerful book. I hope that you pick it up and read it. And I hope you enjoyed that brief uh, paragraph of the book. Now, I want to talk about the second book, Letting Go by David R. Hawkins. Really powerful. Letting Go describes a simple and effective means by which to let go of the obstacles to enlightenment and become free of negativity. So here's the passage from the book, from chapter two, the mechanism of letting go. If we take a close look at human life, we see that it is essentially one long elaborate struggle to escape our inner fears and expectations that have been projected upon the world. Interspersed are periods of celebration when we have momentarily escaped the inner fears, but the fears are still there waiting for us. We have become afraid of our inner feelings because they hold such a massive amount of negativity that we fear we would be overwhelmed by if we were to take a deeper look. We have a fear of these feelings because we have no conscious mechanism by which to handle the feelings if we let them come up within ourselves. Because we are afraid to face them, they continue to accumulate and finally, we secretly begin looking forward to death to bring all of the pain to an end. It is not thoughts or facts that are painful, but the feelings that accompany them. Thoughts in and of themselves are painless, but not the feelings that underline them. It is the accumulated pressure of feelings that causes thoughts. One feeling, for instance, can create literally thousands of thoughts over a period of time. Think, for instance, of one painful memory from life, one terrible regret that has been hidden. Look at all the years and years of thoughts associated with that single event. If we could surrender the underlying painful feeling, all of those thoughts would disappear instantly and we would forget the event. This observation is in accord with scientific research. Thoughts are filed in the memory bank according to the various shades of feelings associated with those thoughts. Therefore, when we relinquish or let go of a feeling, we are freeing ourselves from the associated thoughts. The great value of knowing how to surrender is that any and all feelings can be let go of at any time and any place in an instant. And it can be done continuously and effortlessly. What is the surrendered state? It means to be free of negative feelings in a given area so that creativity and spontaneity 
can manifest without opposition or the interference of inner conflicts. To be free of inner conflict and expectations is to give others in your life the greatest freedom. It allows us to experience the basic nature of the universe, which it will be discovered is to manifest the greatest possible, the greatest good possible in a situation. This may sound ph philosophical, but when done, it is experientially true. And so that's a passage from Letting Go, very powerful. And I notice the more I look up to my mentors, I notice this letting go technique, this letting go of pain and the past and surrendering to the moment with these mentors. I'll give you an example of Wim Hof. When he goes into the cold shower, he talks about how he surrenders to the cold. He lets go. He surrenders to his body. He tr learns to trust in his body that he is safe, that this pain is not going to kill him, right? There's this letting go, surrendering to the moment and letting go of the pain, knowing the pain, realizing the pain is there, being aware of it, and then letting it go. I also see that with David Goggins. When he runs 10 miles or his 100-mile marathons, you heard me right, 100-mile plus marathons, he goes through this process of letting go. He is aware of the pain, but he pushes through. Most people, when they run and they experience pain, they stop. But from his experience, he teaches about recognizing the pain and that you have more to offer than getting to that pain period and then stopping. You can actually push yourself for longer distances. And after you push through that pain and surrender to it and work through that pain, it goes away. And then eventually, you know, some more pain arises. He does the same thing, surrenders to it, letting go, being aware of that pain, noticing it and letting it go. Very, very powerful book. I highly recommend that book. The next book I want to talk about is 12 Rules for Life by Jordan B. Peterson, one of my mentors, a really powerful book that I highly, highly recommend. And I want to read you something from page 101. What if it was the case that the world revealed whatever goodness it contains in precise proportion to your desire for the best? What if the more your conception of the best has been elevated, expanded, and rendered sophisticated, the more possibility and benefits you could perceive. This doesn't mean that you can have what you want merely by wishing it, or that everything is interpretation, or that there is no reality. The world is still there with its structures and limits. As you move along with it, it cooperates or objects, but you can dance with it if your aim is to dance, and maybe you can even lead if you have enough skill and enough grace. This is not theology. It's not mysticism. It's empirical knowledge. There is nothing magical here 
or nothing more than the already present magic of consciousness. We only see what we aim at. The rest of the world, and that's most of it, is hidden. If we start aiming at something different, something like, I want my life to be better, our minds will start presenting us with new information derived from the previously hidden world to aid us in that pursuit. Then we can put that information to use and move and act and observe and improve. And after doing so, after improving, we might pursue something different or higher. Something like, I want whatever might be better than just my life being better. And then we can enter a more elevated and more complete reality. And now I want to read you something from page 108. Pay attention. Focus on your surroundings, physical and psychological. Notice something that bothers you, that concerns you, that will not let you be, which you could fix, that you would fix. You can find such some things by asking yourself, as if you generally want to know, three questions. What is it that is bothering me? Is that something I could fix? And would I actually be willing to fix it? If you find that the answer is no to any or all of the questions, then look elsewhere, aim lower. Search until you find something that bothers you, that you could fix, that you would fix, and then fix it. That might be enough for the day. Maybe there's a stack of paper on your desk and you've been avoiding it. You won't even really look at it when you walk into your room. There are terrible things lurking there, tax forms and bills and letters for people wanting things you aren't sure you can deliver. Notice your fear and have some sympathy for it. Maybe there are snakes in that pile of paper. Maybe you'll get bitten. Maybe there are even hydras lurking there. You'll cut off one head and seven more will grow. How could you possibly cope with that? And that's where I want to leave you with those books. Now, in regards to Peterson and what I just read, I love this book because he gives you practical tools on where to start. What are the first steps of getting better? I'm suffering. My life's in chaos. I don't know what to do. Where can I start? Where can I look? And he says there, you know, start by asking very powerful questions. If there's something I could fix and would fix, what would it be? What's the little things lurking in the corners that I could fix? And your life gets 1% better, right? 2% better. Next thing you know, if your life gets 1% better every day, your life a year from now, you will be in a totally different place in your life. You won't even be the same person. Really, really powerful. I highly recommend these three books. And that's where I want to leave you in today's podcast episode. Thank you so much for being here with me today. I'm so grateful for your comments and 
all the questions that you send me and the love and support in the community on the Anxiety Project YouTube channel. Just, just so powerful. It means the world to me. And lastly, do not let anxiety define who you are. I will see you on the next podcast or video. Bye for now. Brad's Powerful Anxiety Recovery Program is now available at unpluganxiety.com. The Anxiety Project Program is downloadable and puts the power of anxiety recovery in your own hands. Visit unpluganxiety.com for more details. Recovery starts now.